Hello, everybody. Hey, it's Spooky Month. Yeah, she catches me in the middle of the laugh. That's not fair. <laughs> well, because I was saying, like, I'm playing with our lighting here, and I'm mm. like, oh, I'm looking real, like, dark and goth. And, and I said, he looks like Pugsley Adam. Yeah, I was trying to not wear my glasses because you could see the reflection of the ring light. <laughs> I try I try to do that every once in a while. It can get, but, you know, well, like then I, said, I can't see. It's October. It's Spooky Month. So Finally, um, we're in the Halloween season. Yeah, which yeah. I love. Do you love yeah. Halloween? I do. I grew you know, you grow up on Halloween. You grow up trick-or-treating and everything. Uh, my uh, sister's uh, birthday's on Halloween, but she's oh, up in Washington, so we won't be celebrating her directly, but I'm sure we'll be doing like an online game. My oldest daughter's birthday is the day before. Oh, nice. Yes. So, yeah, so Halloween's always like really big with the kids and yep. with her birthday. So, yep. I don't trick or treat now anymore, but I'm, you know, always trying to find some good Halloween. I'm sure Ollie's, Ollie's is doing like a spooky walk. Um, obviously, here in Gator, Mike's tradition is our own miniature Halloween Horror Nights, the the Haunted Hike. Uh, they do that here in Cape Coral every every year. Well, I might as well pitch my other, uh, my friends over at the Calusa Nature Center. Ooh, We're going to yes. have the Haunted Walk. They do that very, I've been to yes. that one as a kid before. That one's pretty interesting. Too. Yeah, this is going to be super fun. So that will be starting here in October. Mm. Uh, you can get your tickets online at the CalusaNatureCenter.org. And uh, you're going to want to get your tickets because it's just going to be like super big. Uh, it's zombie theme this year. Alien zombies, if we're dealing with the parents them too. Zombies from Mars and Venus. And look, it's the Andromeda Galaxy. Oh my God, there's zombies from the Andromeda Like, And actually, Ollie's has been uh, helping to recruit some of the actors for that. But we always have a group of local actors that just like love to get mm -hmm. into the character oh, and, yeah. and have fun. So uh, lots of great stuff. I know there's like a new um, corn maze thing down in Benita. Mm -hmm. Uh, Farmer Mike's, you pick, and uh, it's just a good time to get out. Lakes Park has got a big event. Lakes for Park's kids, always, always has a thing yeah. with the train. There's something there. I grew up at the Lakes Park one, and I think I've done the Calusa one as a kid as well. But yeah, and again, welcome to Democrat and Republican. Yeah, walk on we just jumped right into spooky month. Right into spooky month. Uh, but I, it was almost super spooky. Oh, yes, you're right. It was almost as we averted the averted, <laughs> skin of our teeth, averted that shot down literally with it with, with seconds to spare. Um, by the way, again, I'm Sean Hartman, the Republican. This is Cindy Dr. Cindy Vanier, your resident Democrat. We're here at Ollie's, uh, enjoying uh, actually some football and brew. Yep, and um, I'm out and do because Dr. Pepper. Yep, so um, having a good time. There's always great events up here. Um, but yeah, so let's, well, let's dive, let's, into, let's dive into that. Let's well, look, well, um, it was very interesting. We were able to avert a shutdown and it was basically done. Democrats, Democrats worked with Republicans to avert the shutdown. Republicans basically, Kevin McCarthy had to basically give in to the Democrats. Right. And the reason for that is because of Matt Gates. Yes. Let's be, and I, and because a lot of people are, especially on my side, are going to be blaming Kevin McCarthy and I understand mm -hmm. why, but let's be clear before Yesterday, I think two days ago, we had a stronger conservative bill that would have funded border security, that would have had spending cuts, that that wasn't perfect, but we were letting perfect be the enemy of the good, and it was good enough. And the fact of the matter is, is Matt Gates and his little rebel alliance decided to be like, no, we don't want this. I think he's learned a lot from his teenage girlfriends on how to throw a temper tantrum because he is serious. I'm serious. I blame Matt Gates 
for this it's a democrat win it is a democrat it is win. a huge democrat it is a huge democrat win and it is a democrat win because of matt gates not because of kevin mccarthy look if you play stupid games you win stupid prices and matt gates played a stupid game and cost republicans what was going to be an easy well pretty easy win but well and let's not forget the ethics complaints against him which mm. kevin mccarthy has already threatened to <laughs> surface as well those have not been closed those are still open mm. and that absolutely so it's basically going to be a republican mudslinging yeah, yeah, well, Matt, Matt's already said he's going to file the motion to try to remove him, and we'll see right. whether or not, because he is going to need Democrat support for that, obviously, as well, in order to actually get to see if they'll actually vote with him on that or not. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if... I think they'll sit there and watch you guys. They might. Yeah, no, of course. I think Just like the, the first 15 rounds of the speaker vote. Uh, but let's let's roll this back a little bit as well. How do we get to the point where we're at a shutdown? Okay, so the Congress has to pass up to twelve different appropriations bills per year. Mm -hmm. There are uh, a lot of times they're put together in certain ways. You know the the. Um, the defense spending and stuff, yeah. there's different uh, times that they have to vote. But this is basically the big omnibus spending bill and appropriations mm -hmm. bill that is needed to fund the government through the next year. Yeah. And um, it is basically something that happens every year and ends up being a big uh, hubba blue. Yeah. And earlier this year, we had the debt ceiling limit, which is something that's different. Yeah. Okay. And we've um, had long discussions. We must have two or three episodes on that. So go right. back if you want to hear our positions on that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that was decided earlier this year. Part of that, though, was a, an agreement on the appropriations, which is now. So there was a bipartisan agreement between Kevin McCarthy and Biden and the Democrats as to what that spending bill was going to look like, and it included some cuts, et cetera, and so forth. Mm. What ended up happening, though, is that the far-right fiscal conservatives in the Republican Party decided they didn't like that bill. Mm. And when the bill that they actually passed out of the House was included more spending cuts and had been part of that de deal yeah. for the debt ceiling limit. Mm. And while in the Senate, that bill was the same one as that has passed agreed. as the original agreement. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes back to also reneging on an original agreement, right? Mm -hmm. um, Kevin McCarthy kind of gave in to that right-wing part of his party, and this kind of then culminated into this last-minute shuffle. Mm -hmm. And then the threat from Matt Gates was, of course, if you cooperate with the Democrats, I'm going to have you unseated. And then that is ultimately what ended up happening. Yeah. And look, and look, Kevin had to eventually be the adult in the room and do what needed to be done for America, Americans. He, he quite frankly put America first in this regard because real Americans would have been hurt by exactly. a government shutdown. And this is the thing that a lot of, I think on both sides really, but um, where, where we want to be principled, we want to stand by our guns when it comes to these issues, but it kind of becomes hard when reality gets in the way. And you see what are the actual effects of your principles. And if it's going to do real damage, then you shouldn't be doing it, even if it's something you strongly believe. Well, you and I talk a lot about yeah. how fiscal conservatism yeah. often butts up against reality. It does, yeah. And we have this yeah. kind of concept in principle, like, well, this is we would like to have cuts, but yeah, it ultimately ends up hurting people. And one of the bills, the, the mm. continuing resolution that was put forth by Byron Donald, not only included all of this stuff about the border, but up to 30% spending cuts in Social Security, which no one wants. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> your daughter is over here trying to get you. Get you She's trying to get into my phone. She's yeah. trying to like stand <laughs> 10 feet away. We'll cut this from the from the podcast face. recording. No, hello. No, um uh 
look again again i forgot what we were talking we, we, the shutdown yeah. actually the bit the grown-ups in the room were kevin mccarthy and the democrats and 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 i like this like how you kind of tried to throw in like oh it's the other side listen the democrats were always there to pass a bill to fund the government because we fundamentally believe that we need the government yeah it's a large no, that's true the states. democrats are we always okay with funding military the government. people absolutely 100 agree with you we don't want to see military folks and veterans go without their pay or their mm -hmm. pension we don't want to see social yeah. security beneficiaries go without their needed funds we don't want to see medicaid and Medicare recipients go without the care that they need. We do not want to see contractors who have mm. contracts with the American government to do important things like infrastructure or healthcare yeah. or you know prevention in any way, shape, or form go without their pay because that is us also reneging on our agreements. Yeah. It's good for America to have a functioning government, mm. no matter how many people say, oh, you're never going to know the difference. There's 800,000 yeah. Americans that are employed by the federal government. And to there tell people, people that it's not going to make a difference when it shuts down is a lie. There might be average Americans who may not feel the difference, but yes, you have a lot of people who are going to be affected even, and that's the funny part when you're thinking about Matt Gates and his district and how many of his constituents would have been affected by it. His very military heavy district. Yeah. A lot of them would have been negatively affected by his showboating. Let's be clear about that. Right. And it's, you know, he, is he actually, representing his district when he's doing that or is this more like a performance because he wants to run for governor and he wants to show that oh i'm a big strong conservative who will fight against you know kevin mccarthy and and the republicans and i'll be a child and i'll throw a temper tantrum anytime i don't get my way is that the is that basically what he's trying to present that's his, is that his brand i guess it is because yeah, that's know. what he's doing I think everybody lost the plot on what the point was like yeah. a long time ago. Like, yeah, okay, great. Spending cuts on this, water. But there honestly, was never a plan. There was never yeah. a clear action. And then there was this kind of tit for tat back and forth about mm. Kevin McCarthy and his job. And he was trying to appease these far right fiscal conservatives. And it just. Yeah. And we've discussed, we've discussed really budget so often. And we, we both agree, like we need to start this budgeting process earlier and earlier. Like if people, people get in Congress gets, inaugurated January 3rd, they need to start working like January 4th at least to really start working on these budgets and these these 12 appropriations bills and everything that they need to be doing because this is getting ridiculous. This happens far too often and it makes our republic look bad. It makes yeah. our, our system of government look bad. Mm -hmm. It makes it look like, you know, the, this experiment with democracy is not, go, is not workable. And then tie yeah, that, I yeah. mean, if you have people who are elected and their entire point is to throw a wrench in the process, yeah. then it doesn't look like it works, but yeah. <laughs> it can actually work. And actually, how did it work? Bipartisanism. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what I needs to be done. Word. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, and, and there's this, this whole thing, like the uniparty that's thrown around by the far right. And like, listen, listen, let's, let's grow up. Right. I think you said it right. Like the adult in the room, let's grow up and realize that if you want to get things done, you're going to have to compromise and everybody gives a little bit, everybody gets a little bit. And that's how the government works best. Yeah. This entrenched polarization where it's, Oh, I, we get everything or, or we can only work with our side. Yeah. It's, it's toxic. It's toxic it and it does not work for the American people. And and it's not like, you know, Congress is like Florida where we have the, the super majorities in the House and Senate and we can ram through what we want. They don't have that. OK, you still have to work with, you know, we still have a Democratic Senate and you don't have a full house. You know, we have maybe five, we have a barely a five seat majority. It was it was four seat majority. Yeah. four oh, even worse. I thought it was right, five seats. One resign. Who resigned again? 
I can't remember, but it's only a four seat majority. <laughs> I, I only know. I guess someone resigned and I missed all of this. Wow. Okay. But the point is, see, it, it, you know, we don't have enough of a majority even in the House to justify being strongly conservative and, to and be taking shit. Yeah. To, to, really, to really be, well, to really push through a lot of the policies we're going to want to push through. We can't really do it because we don't have we don't have the majority enough in the House. We definitely don't have the Senate and we don't have the White House. So, yes, it is about being realistic. And sure, we could try to pass bills to to show what what policies we would support. But at the end of the day, what we should really be focusing on is which pieces of legislation helps the American people that we can actually get passed. You know, wow, and I then would holding love that. the line and then holding the line on those areas, you know, where Democrats are trying to push for too much. And that's that's the other part of it with Republicans. Republicans have always been better as an opposition party, unfortunately, which which I've never liked. As opposed to a legislating as party. As opposed to a legislating party, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. This is something a big complaint I have is that we are we are not as policy driven as we should be. We 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 talk all these big games. Um, but when it comes to actually implementing the policies, we, we aren't able to do it. Right. You know, and that's the, and that's, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's just something, it's one of my internal complaints with the party. party so that speaking we have. of not doing legislative activities or policy driven activities that are going to benefit the American people, the Joe Biden, uh, impeachment inquiry. Oh, Yes. So, was open this mm, week as well, mm, and the first hearings related to that happened mm, as well. Yeah, so this I did. I actually watched the hearings. Um, there's here's the thing with I kind of have a position very similar to how Jonathan Turley's position was, which is if you're looking at what we have right now, it's not enough to impeach, but it is enough to start an impeachment inquiry. And some of the things that were brought up that were missed that I would really want to see investigated because we need to know if it's true or not is based on interview testimony. They're saying that, yes, there is financial funds uh, transferred between members of the Biden family and this Chinese CEFC company, as well as with different Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs, and that there are meetings between those very individuals and Joe Biden. So if that, I don't know if that's- There's no evidence that anything, any of that is Well, that's what they're going to be investigating. If there's no evidence- There's no evidence that that's true. Uh, the mm. vast majority of what has been discussed thus far in the impeachment inquiries have been about Hunter Biden. Yes, that is president. true. That is true. So there is so much of it, and I'm so sick of tired of, tired about how he, Hunter Biden was selling the Joe Biden brand. I think it was absolutely correct to say Hunter Biden was not the president- the uh, anything that Hunter Biden did to sell his father was Hunter Biden selling his father. That has nothing to right. do with his father unless you can show such a direct connection. Right. So if they can show that connection, then yes. I think and I think one of the things that you and I agree on is that we both agree that the influence peddling is wrong. Yeah, we would okay. love to see it end, mm. but that does not mean it's an impeachable offense. Here's the, the other thing too that I've been thinking about as well when it comes to this as an impeachable offense. All of this happened. All of these allegations happened when Joe Biden was vice president. Mm -hmm. Can you impeach a president for crimes they didn't commit while president? I don't know. That's a that's a serious cost. I'm asking this as someone who doesn't know. If you read the Constitution, possibly you can because it's not right. very clear. But it's very interesting to think about. Like you, th you think that if you're impeaching a president, you're impeaching them for crimes they committed while president. This is before he was president. 
And True. so that's a question. That's that's something I've been thinking about recently. Ooh, so there's there not okay. So the, there's a few things to keep in mind. One is that the impeachment inquiry process, trial, everything is inherently a political process. It's mm. outlined in the Constitution. It is not the same as a criminal trial. True. Yes. It does not mean that there's a criminal <clears throat> trial. Oftentimes, it happens in conjunction with a parallel criminal trial or civil trial of some mm. kind, right? Um, but the impeachment inquiry itself is inherently a political mm. tool. And it doesn't say explicitly that it has to be something that the, the president did mm. while okay. they were president. It just says high crimes and misdemeanors. But even at that bar, which is a very fuzzy bar, there's no evidence that Joe Biden... Mm while he was vice president or president, committed mm. any high crimes or yes, misdemeanors. Yes, you're, you're correct. As of right now, there's no evidence, and that's why they're doing the investigation and the subpoenas, and we'll see if anything turns up. If nothing turns up, then yeah, it's a it's a it's a nothing burger. Just it's a like, nothing burger. It's a nothing burger, just like you know the Mueller report being a nothing burger almost. But anyway, the Mueller report <laughs> was a nothing burger. But anyway, anyway the point um, the point is proved that there was a significant <laughs> amount of Russian influence and Ukrainian yeah. influence on behalf of the Trump campaign. But anyway, so uh, one other interesting thing that came out of that investigation or the, uh, inquiry, the yeah. inquiry this week was our Congressman Byron Donalds mm -hmm. got caught submitting fabricated evidence into the impeachment query. Did you see about this? I, I thought I saw something. There was discussion on it during the, I didn't really catch exactly what had happened. So what had happened, Byron Donalds submitted a text message that oh, was yes. supposed to be somewhat incriminating for the president, mm -hmm. but it had actually been altered. Mm -hmm. and uh, AOC actually called him out. So there was this big thing, and it seems as though he kind of knew because he was there was a, plenty of shots of him looking uh, smug and smiling about it. And he's like, well, I don't know if it was staff or whatever, but I myself, as a constituent of mm -hmm. Byron Donalds, was extremely disappointed in his willingness to yeah. submit fake evidence, especially knowing that he was somebody that was pushing the, the impeachment inquiry and that it has a lot to do politically with yeah. Donald Trump, whom, he, whom Byron Donalds has endorsed, and the fact that he's using our apparatus, our time in the Congress to go after a political enemy on behalf of Trump, mm -hmm. I thought was really disgusting mm -hmm. and, you know, just unethical at best. It's putting in fabricated, knowingly fabricated there, evidence. It's, it's uh, interesting, you know, by, you know, Byron um, is, is like me, a devout Christian, very open about it. And there is a commandment that says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's also a is, commandment against, against adultery, but that didn't stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, especially, well, divorce in general is is, is considered a sin. But well, most he was Christian, married to another woman when he took up with, and actually got Erica Donalds, his wife now, pregnant. I am not familiar with any of that story. Well, so I I'm am, because I'm very close with his ex-wife. <laughs> I'm not, so I have no comment. So for Christian, he's not only lied, but... And well, the point is, know, is that he should not have bore false, very false witness. If you're going to false witness and adultery, so that's about half oh, the commandments geez. right there. Wow. And anyway, well, the point after I'm, when he met the um, point Erica I'm trying his church. I, I yeah, not not super familiar with with all that backstory. I'm not going to com well. comment on any of that. But what I will say is, you know, if, if where if you feel so strongly that there's evidence there, then you don't need to fabricate evidence. It looks bad when you're fabricating evidence. And again, you're, you're, you're bearing false witness. So that's just a problem for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, sounds like somebody needs to go find Jesus. <laughs> Everyone needs to go find Jesus these days. Everyone needs Jesus right now.
Everyone needs Jesus, <laughs> including many in our Republican Party, too. But that's speaking of uh, many in our Republican Party. <laughs> nice pivot. Yes, nice pivot. Let's talk about uh, the Republican debate that uh, that I'm apparently the only one who cares. Yeah, you're the only one who ever watched it because what, what a flaming pile of shit that is right now. <laughs> well, there was. With over 50% of primary, likely primary voters yeah. uh, in the Trump camp, a lot of people are asking, what is the point of the primary? So tell us, what is the point of I, the primary debate? I really debate? don't know. I mean... At the Reagan Library. So I think, Well, I think the point of the primary debate is to show um, that there are other candidates and to try to give them the spotlight to try to rise up in the polls because, you know, this is a, you know, races are a long time where um, what January, mid January is when we're going to start the Iowa caucuses. Look, do it, does it look like right now with the poll numbers and everything that Trump's going to be the nominee? Yes. I'm, I'm planning and prepping as if he's going to be our nominee. That's sort of also with his indictments, it looks like he's probably going to prison. <laughs> so well, I'm running for prison one of the things. is, is, is Going full Eugene Victor Debs right there, except for the socialism part, essentially. <laughs> He's the anti-socialist Eugene Victor Debs. But anyway. Um, there is a fascinating time to be It is. A, what, yeah, exactly. There's not. There's never been anything like this in political history, Ooh, for sure. Country. No. Um, but um, no, I'm very, I, I'm glad that they still have the debates. I'm glad that that uh, you can hear these different candidates and, and their positions. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a cluster you know, at certain points. Well, um, so, 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 well, first off, Doug Burgum, I will tell you, is winning me over more and more because he's the only reasonable conservative presenting actual policies, actual uh, issues. And what I'm very impressed by him, so with this debate, he kept interjecting and making sure he got his voice heard. But anytime yeah. he had his time up, he would, he like maneuvered to get as many policy points in as possible. There mm -hmm. was a question he was asked. It had to do with farmers and the trade war with China. He goes from farmers to cybersecurity to Iran to China, connects it to Ukraine, and then pivots to energy policy all in like a minute. And I'm like, why are you like a freaking ninja over here hitting all the because that's the only way he's going to get his voice across and he's he's very smart and articulate he's my true. he was fifth in the time on the, <laughs> on the debates he had just under 10 minutes and nine minutes and 47 seconds mm -hmm. of speaking time and yeah. it was only because he interrupted so yeah, much because and i'm and i'm glad that he did it i mean he has i'm, I'm he's not going to get to florida unfortunately by the time by the time florida primary is going to be maybe like four or five people for lucky um but very strong conservative. Um, I'm uh, very much liking what he's bringing to the table. Unfortunately, he's four to eight years too late, really. Um, the VAC... Going back to the quaint times when Republicans <laughs> just like to argue over taxes. I know, right? Back Corporate in the day when we were like... Instead of whether or not we're going to take over the Capitol and burn it to I the I was ground. like, oh my God, he's talking about free markets. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting the vapors. <laughs> he got turned on by that. He was like, free market economy. Um, He's talking yeah. about limited government. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, but no. So Sean was very excited. I was very, I, Doug is, Doug, I'm loving Doug Burgum. He is absolutely. Did you get, did you get your uh, five bucks or whatever from him? I never got jack squat from him, unfortunately. No, I should have, I should have jumped at that opportunity. No, um. Uh, Vivek did a lot better this time, but I think that mostly had to do with the fact that he was, he was next, he was in between Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, and mm -hmm. both of them were 
attacking him. And it was pretty vicious, but I think he learned from his previous debate because, I, like I said, he was very immature in the last debate. He came out more mature. He uh, invoked a Reagan's 11th commandment quite a bit, which makes sense because he was the one getting attacked most of the time. But yeah, and he's he, in the Reagan library. Yeah, and he was at the Reagan library, so it's very, very, very smart. But also, he, he was very calm when he was being attacked. While everyone else was interrupting, he was not interrupting other people as much. So he, I think he learned from his mistakes. There was even this one point where he's like, look, I know I'm the new guy in the room. I know I have to prove myself. And I come up as a, as a eager know-it-all and all this. You know, he, he like was very honest and open about it, which I appreciated. So he kind of even himself out from the last time and all the negatives I had of him. Tim Scott and Nikki Haley really pissed me off this one. Um, both of them were very much bickering. Uh, Tim's, it was, it was, and honestly, it wasn't really their fault. So Dana Perino asked Tim Scott to explain to Nikki Haley why he should be president, which was the weirdest thing because they're basically asking him to mansplain to Nikki Haley, the only woman on the dais, why you should be president. And I think this is because in case people don't know, Tim Scott was appointed by Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. He's there because of Nikki Haley. Right. And they get into an argument over a bunch of different things. And at one point, they're arguing over curtains and who put the these 50,000 50, curtains that either Obama put it in. They're like, are, I'm like, what is this? Why are we arguing over $50,000 curtains? And it's ridiculous. Another thing, though, that apparently happened. Um, and again, I was so I got a chance to watch it with the young Republicans, and a lot of young Republicans there are involved with Rubio's office and Rubio's campaigns back mm -hmm. in the day. So when uh, Tim Scott said that he had the only Hispanic chief of staff, a lot of them were angry because they know that Marco Rubio apparently has a Hispanic chief of staff. Mm -hmm. So not a good look, especially in Florida, who people know Marco Rubio, and a lot of them are very high up in Republican political circles. So a uh, very interesting uh, stab there. But Tim Scott really came off as whiny, mm. um, really came off as, as much more argumentative. And this is someone who's really built his campaign on the hope and the American optimism of the American dream. And it was just an entirely different dynamic from him. So I was very disappointed um, at both of their campaign performances. It just, they just came off as very catty. Um, everyone was Mike Pence. Kept oh, he was there. He was there. Yes, he was. There. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear anything about Mike. Pence. Oh my God. Mike Pence kept trying to drop jokes and they all fall, fell flat. It was horrible. It was like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's because you know, Mike Pence is so boring. You can't expect him because to. He's not funny. <laughs> he goes like, "I've been here in Congress for twelve years, but I think it's been. I felt sometimes it feels longer, and it's just like silence." And there's one, the cringiest joke, the cringiest joke, and you have to look it up. You'll have to look it up after it's horrible. But um, he, they were talking about um, politicians being in bed with the teachers' union, and he t says that. Um, his wife's not a member of the teachers' union, but he's been sleeping with a teacher for over twenty years. This is a thing. It's an image nobody yes. wants. Yes, nobody that is an actually... wants the image of his mother in bed together. That is, I've never, in Yikes. the history of presidential debates, I don't really think I've ever seen a presidential candidate say, yeah, I have sex with my wife. 
<laughs> yeah, we're stupid all the time. I was just like, what are we watching? And it would just, it would just yeah. continue. It's like, I want to try to get all the clips and like put like a laugh track and the Seinfeld theme song on it. Oh my God. <laughs> Well, I did hear that one of the conversations Nikki Haley had against Vivek was like, every time I hear you speak, I get dumber and dumber. Yeah, that was very rude. I don't know. It was funny, but rude. I don't know. And it was something about TikTok and she like slept. Oh, yeah. So, so Vivek, Vivek apparently, and that is quite interesting. So Vivek, um, they were arguing on his company's ties to China and which I'm sure he has. I mean, he's worked in so much finance. It wouldn't surprise me if he has connections with China. Mm-hmm. Would not surprise me at all. I haven't dug enough deep enough into it, but it wouldn't surprise me. But he started a TikTok. He's on his campaigns right. doing a TikTok because he's out there trying to reach, reach young, the youth. You know, reach the youth. Yes, exactly. He's trying to reach younger voters. And Nikki Haley is like, "You're trying to get them on TikTok and do this and do that." And he's like, "No, I'm trying to win." And he's like, I'm trying to get out there. And if we want to get our ideas out there, we're going to have to win. And that means reaching out to young voters. I mean, what's Nikki Haley doing to reaching out to young voters? Is she is her campaign no doing anything? I don't know. I don't think so. Now, apparently, she's attacking TikTok. I find it interesting, though, the fact is all like on TikTok and everything. At the same time, he's like saying, if you're under 16, you shouldn't have social media. And if you're uh, 18 to 24, under 25, under you, shouldn't 25 you shouldn't vote. So it was like... Yeah, that's a way to win. It's like, it's like it's it's really weird how he's he's courting young voters by trying to be cool. But it's like, yeah, you know what's cool? Taking away your rights to be involved in your government. Yeah. Yeah, not gonna work. You know what's cool? Don't be on Facebook at 15. <laughs> don't be on Snapchat. No TikTok. I don't think that's anybody cool. who's yeah. 15 right now is on Facebook. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. They call it mom book and they don't want anything yeah, to do with it. No, I can't even get the college students to help me. They don't even know. All right. So it sounds like that was a big whole uh, steaming pile of something. So thanks for the rundown. Yep. Um, Okay, let's let's talk about something else local here. So this week we had the one year anniversary oh, yes. of Hurricane Ian. Mm. Um, there was a lot of events here. Obviously, it's been very big for us here in Southwest Florida. Mm. We had a, 150 people had passed away in Lee County alone from the storm. We had 122 billion dollars worth of damage, yeah. and we still have 20,000 residential units that had been destroyed or majorly damaged, and we have a significant amount of outflow from the community, people who have had to move, and a 40% increase in homelessness since mm. the storm, not to mention an increase in unemployment and the number of businesses that have been destroyed and yeah. couldn't function uh, through the storm as well. And uh, so there was a lot of things happened from the storm, yeah, but most of the events uh, surrounded around resiliency and being strong and coming back together. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, the unveiling of the new the replica of the Times Square clock down on Fort Myers mm-hmm. Beach with an official event with several elected officials yep. and Nikki Fried, chair of the Democratic Party, yep. had gone to that as well. And um and we I actually also host an event at FGCU bringing students and student groups together through um, art and uh, to celebrate resilience yep. and tell their stories. So uh, that will actually, you'll see on Big Mouth Media, some of the stories that we captured from that. Yeah. So definitely check that out. And actually Nikki Fried came yeah, I think to I saw FGCU. The <laughs> I, I was able to get her in on that. So a uh, very interesting set of events. Uh, Kit Coral actually had an unveiling of yeah, a memorial. We have a memorial rock, <laughs> which, which, 
I don't want to complain about it, but it's it, it just I expected more when they were talking about a monument or something. I was like, is this going to be a statue? Is this and and I'm I haven't seen the rock and I can't really read what it says on the photo. But um, the point though is, I think it is important that we have a memorial. Um, this was yeah. a major event in our city and especially in our city's history, um, in our community's history. Uh, yeah. Definitely comparable to Charlie. For sure, even worse oh, than was, Charlie. It was the honestly. worst hurricane that has ever hit the state of Florida mm -hmm. uh, in terms of damage and loss of life. Uh, definitely the worst one to hit Southwest Florida and is going to top out as the most expensive storm to ever hit Florida. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so, also, one of the things I will say that was very cool about the FGCU event with the students is that there was a group of art students who were there who did a a very interesting and interactive set of sculptures. Mm. They did an ice sculpture that had some natural components that melted during our ceremony. So that was kind of neat. Ooh. And then they actually built these kind of, it's hard to describe, but like big poles with, uh, uh, what are those? Pool noodles, pool noodles. Mm. But they were the height that the storm surge was. Oh. And they did it at different points. So it was like 15 feet at Fort Myers Beach. It was like 13.8 on Sanibel. And then there was five other mm. locations, including all the way out in Olga, which is towards the center going on the way to LaBelle. Oh, yeah. That was 7.8 feet of storm surge. Ooh. And they made the, the pool noodles as tall as that was. Okay. And, you know, and this is how we are as humans with numbers. Like I say 15 feet and you're like, okay, it's probably like whatever, how high, but like, we don't really get it until we're there. Mm. So even me, I didn't get it until yeah. I'm standing underneath uh, the 15, 15 feet. Foot. is almost like two stories. Yeah. And I'm like, holy moly. And that's just how much water there was in the storm surge. So mm. it was like, humbling i guess to a certain yeah. extent and also to like recognize the power of the the water and the waves yeah. and the storms um it's just hard to believe it's been a year i mean like it's, yeah. it feels like it's it honestly for me it somewhat feels longer like um it was such a surprising event i was with my grandparents with it and um you know very it was it was interesting to be there after and sort of having no power no connection no no like contact with the outside world it was it was almost apocalyptic yeah no it felt very strange and um i fortunately was on the interior part actually it was out by Oga, but i was like not on the river i was uh, still out at the edge <laughs> of lehigh there and uh so my family fortunately very minor damage to our house just a few days without power mm -hmm. And we didn't know actually the first day after the storm like how bad it was because we couldn't see these pictures we didn't get we didn't have any cell powers yeah. cell tower stuff so it was literally like you had no idea for the first day what yeah happened. we had to get to like the fourth story of my grandparents apartment to get any amount of thing and then i was just staying up there the whole time you know getting in and out of like news stories and that's when oh you know we first saw the sanibel bridge right which was destroyed which, which like that's like the stuff you see in monster movies and stuff oh, yeah. like i'm like looking at it and i'm like calling my mom mom the sanibel bridge is gone well, I was, we were listening to the radio, like yeah. the emergency broadcast on the radio. And it's like when they, when the sunlight came up and they were looking at everything, like they couldn't describe how it was. It was like, oh my God, 
is that is that Fort Myers Beach? Like you couldn't recognize it because everything was gone. Yeah. And I did read that it was 97% of the structures on Fort Myers Beach were either completely destroyed or majorly damaged. So we're talking, yeah, major damage. And yeah, we still do have a lot of damage. A lot of signs yeah. are still messed up. I mean, there's blue roofs. I actually went and visited a community that still has significant damage from the storm. Uh, and that's like a landlord issue kind of thing. Yeah. But um, it's, it's, you know, we're not okay yet. Like I, I love that <laughs> we're, we can come together and be like, Hey, we're strong, we're resilient, but it's not okay. And it will, it's going to forever change the face of Fort Myers beach for sure. Oh yeah. So Fort Myers Beach and the islands have um, the entire makeup has changed and it's going to with the reconstruction, there's going to be a lot more resiliency efforts that we need to keep in mind going forward in the future. Um, I think we're, we're definitely going to be better prepared for the next one, especially with this one. Um, but yeah, we, it was our it was our year anniversary. We had a lot of people down here, actually, um, a few of the staffers and, and Ray Rodriguez, actually, who is a former state senator now, the president of the board of governors yep. of the university yeah that was but, a little uh, but he thank was, you thank you for putting through the congressional map that santas wanted yeah we've we, we've talked about sort of my opinions of how that went down in a previous episode you can watch that there <laughs> but what i will say he was there and a, a friend of mine who who i knew at ucf who worked at who's working at jimmy patronus's office who apparently he's thinking about running for governor now too everyone and their mother's apparently thinking about it in 2026 fascinating which is interesting yeah we've actually never had i don't think more than three major candidates at least in in, in the past 15 20 years uh for governor it's usually only two or three candidates major candidates really running for the the seat mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens to see. So it sounds like you're not thinking that Ron is going to give himself another, uh, you know, term. There were people talking about that, that upcoming this session, which by the way, the committees are already happening. So if you are a legislative watcher, go ahead and check out. They're, they're trying to increase, increase his term limits or just, well, that they were going to waive it or, or, or whatever, get rid of it so that because he was running for president, that he would be able to run for a third term. What? No, God, no. What? what is, do you get to run? Do you get to run for a third term if you were? Then every governor is going to run for president every four years, just so that way they can get a third term. It's like I'm it's just so, telling you. That is so stupid. <laughs> see now we see because then it means we're having DeSantis sycophants like we have Trump sycophants, and we need to start stop in the Republican Party with sycophants of any type. You know, we need to stop like blindly following leaders and and look at their issues and look at their ideas. Anyway, that would um, be wonderful. It would be wonderful. I hardly agree with. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah, we've talked about often how you long for the day of conservatives who actually are conservatives. Yeah, I would love to have like policy based conservatives, and then we can talk about it and mm -hmm. be like, "Here's this." Here's and that's that. ironically what Vivek was talking about too. Is let's talk policy. We're all over here arguing and bickering. Let's talk policy. And so Vivek, I'm not saying he won me over completely yet, but he's um, did did a did a lot better to improve his image for me. Um, this came off more mature during the debate. 
Um, do you want to, I guess, talk about Diane Feinstein as well, uh, passing away? I feel so, like we're going to bring that up too. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, rest in peace to Diane Feinstein, one of the longest serving senators in mm. American history, definitely the longest serving woman, came into office in 1992 for the state of yeah. California, um, had been a champion for women's rights. Um, and, you know, she was reelected, I think, in 2018. 2018. Okay. And she passed away this week um, after many illnesses this year at the age of 90. Yeah. Um, So, you know, a lot of people have been very respectful and, you know, sending their condolences and, and recognizing her as a leader and an icon, what she was. But of course, then there's all this other discussion on well, it wasn't really appropriate for her to have stayed in that position for so long, especially mm-hmm. considering that she spent most of this year out of work yep. because she had shingles and she fell and she just wasn't even able to mm-hmm. do her job. And this actually stymied the Democrats capacity in the in the Senate to be able to get things pushed through because yeah. she wasn't even there to vote. Yeah, we've, we've had those discussions before on the show. Uh, um Look, I'm I'm was never really the biggest fan of Diane Feinstein in general, especially on her her gun issues. One of the things that um, I do applaud her for is her efforts in holding the intelligence community accountable on the torture torturing that we did and the human rights violations that we did in the name of the United States, um, which completely violates the ideals of this country. Um, so for that, I I applaud her and I and I applaud her for someone. Who, who spent really all of her adult life since the '60s in public service, and I, you know, we've talked before about term limits and all that type of stuff. Um, and I had a friend of mine talk about how she's been all 80 percent or 90 percent of her adult life in politics. I don't think public service is an ignoble profession. Um, I think it's by, why we're both in politics is because we think of it as public service. And the problem right. is, is most politicians don't. Um, and I think um, if you look at her um, career as one of public service um, and representing her state, well, her state's a liberal state. You know, I wouldn't expect her to stand by my positions, but she stood by the positions of Californians. I felt relatively well and was able to get things done. You know, this is something you talked about in terms of your opposition to term limits about mm-hmm. how right. you have that experience and people who can get things done because they know their way around the government, right. and, you know, and relationships matter. And the relationships too, you know, yeah. she was very good at that. So um, already there, there's a lot of bipartisan, condolences going out to her which i think is fair um and yeah uh, i mean i think there is also like and i don't know the rules in the state of california myself but um whether or not there's going to be an appointment or a special election you know there's a it's an appointment um gavin newsom has said he will appoint a black black woman. woman he also said he will appoint a a uh a seat, a seat filler, essentially. He's not going to point someone who's running. So mm. Barbara Lee, who's Barbara been Lee pushing, we about. Yeah. Barbara Lee has been pushing him to renege on that and appoint her because he's like, oh, you're just going to appoint a black woman as a seat filler. That's an insult. But again, I, I actually think he's right there. You know, you have a bunch of people running. It'd be unfair to the all the candidates to say, you know, I'm going to appoint some this person and decide who the senator is going to be. That does that decision really right. belongs to the people of California. So there's, you know, different, you know, I'm yet to be seen who he's going to pick. I mean, it took him like five, six weeks to appoint Alex Padilla to 
Kamala Harris's seat. So mm-hmm. hopefully it doesn't take too long. But you know, who who would want to be just a temporary appointment for a senate for like let me? Well, and then yeah, is that person going to then want to run? If they change their mind, I exactly. <laughs> I think everybody who was in there would be like, hey, this is pretty cool. Let me run. So I don't know how he's going to get it so that they're not going to commit to not to run. I don't yeah. I don't think you can put that kind of condition on it. So that's what I mean. That's probably the condition. He has to have someone who has no political ambition. I mean, at least See, he- had he not sh- said that um, he was going to choose a black woman, I would have suggested like Barbara Boxer or something. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, Barbara Boxer was elected at the same time as, right. as Diane. They right. both, both were the first two women to represent that seat. Barbara Boxer has the experience. She, I mean, she's retired. She didn't, she, you right. know, she'd be just in to finish the term and get out. And I think that would have been a perfect choice, but you know, and I think he could still do that, but you know, he made that promise because you know, they, you know, by appointing a Hispanic man who left Californians without a black woman senator and everyone's demographic needs to be represented, I guess. But I mean, um, we'll see what happens. We'll see who he appoints. But I think that's probably the big one is like you have a lot of the, the black women who would be good right. choices, you know, London Breed, Karen Bass, um, yep. people like them who, who who if he appoints them, you know, that's the end of their political career. So they're going to want to run and run for a full term because, right. yeah, you know, because otherwise they're just, you know, What's the gave point? up the mayor, <laughs> you know, gave up a position. I mean, Karen Bass itself, you know, just, just won the mayor's race. So. Right. Right. Is who's going to want to do that. Yeah. So, who would want it? No, no one would. So, so we we'll shall see, but uh, you know, thank you, Diane Feinstein for your service. Uh, to the, and frankly, thank you everybody who ends up, you know, running and, and especially is making the commitment to do so to improve our country and their community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any other big burning stuff? I think we hit a lot. Of I the think stuff. we had most of the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we were gone last week. So, I mean, uh, and I think even the week before we missed the UN summit, um, that a lot that happened with it yeah. this year. I mean, it was, I think the biggest thing to come out of the UN summit was there was a significant climate change uh, and climate action mm-hmm. protest that focused on youth that happened. Uh, that was, that was probably the most significant thing. I feel like that that's happened. every, every summit though. Not necessarily. This one was pretty big because it's also coming off the legal win of the Colorado youth, or I'm sorry, the Montana youth who had sued uh, for climate action because it was their future. So uh, Mm. kind of an interesting legal win there. So there's a lot of youth climate activists that have been, you know, clamoring. We'll see where that goes. Well, they wouldn't have liked the Republican debate because they were all talking about drill, baby, drill and everything. There was one part where apparently Nikki Haley was hitting Ron DeSantis on fracking. Yeah. Apparently, I didn't even realize that, how he, like, she's saying he banned fracking. Do you you know, what do you know about this misenvironmental? He has not (laughs) banned fracking in the state of Florida. Okay. So Nikki Haley was wrong and Ron DeSantis is right. You heard it here first from Cindy (laughs) Bandit. Um, but it still exists. I mean, it's exists in Astero here. So yeah, like, that's what I was like thinking about too. Is like, I don't we just we were having this discussion about this too about how we didn't you know we didn't want it locally. I know that Collier was having an issue, right? And and we were having it here. So yeah, so I thought it was. I mean, and there's always been a moratorium on drilling off the Gulf Coast. 
So well, since since the oil spill, the Deepwater Horizon spill, at least. I mean, yeah. I mean, there there just is no. You know, that's one thing that in the state of Florida, everybody agrees that they do not want to see oil rigs out in the distance in the Southwest Florida, Yeah, you know, Tampa, Tampa South kind of Gulf Coast. Yep. Um, it does happen out Panhandle, Louisiana, over to Texas, mm -hmm. but not down in this part of the Gulf. Um, so, okay. so anyway. So interesting part. But anyway, let, yeah, let's end that let's there. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here this week on a Democrat and a Republican walk into a bar. I have been your Democratic host, Dr. Cindy Banier. Your host, Sean Hartman. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to have your support for only $4.99 a month. You can subscribe and get all of our episodes directly sent to your inbox in full video, by the way. And you help to support independent media. So check that out on our website, BigMouthMediaFL.com on the plans and pricing pages. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah.